Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the, well, that was fast edition. This week, we're explaining why the new head of Ohio's K-12 education left his job about two weeks after he got it, how U.S. Representative Anthony Gonzalez voted on gun control, what kinds of examinations could be required for high school sports, and whether Ohio might let new candidates run in the August primary. Joining me this week is reporter Jesse Ballmer. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. I couldn't do a redistricting podcast without you. Maps are my passion. Our first topic is outgoing U.S. Representative Anthony Gonzalez. Once a rising star in Ohio's GOP, the Northeast Ohio lawmaker is leaving office at the end of this year, in large part because he's taken some controversial votes. He voted to impeach former President Donald Trump after the January 6th riot at the Capitol. And this week, he voted for a package of gun control reforms. Yeah, I think Gonzalez at this point, uh, there were he was one of five uh, members of the U.S. House of Representatives who voted for this bill that you know was being approved by the vast majority of Democrats, and I think four of those individuals are not running for re-election, yeah. and so that's just kind of where the position is. I think he feels more free to take this vote or or what have you because he's not running for re-election and doesn't have to answer to voters or lobbyists about. Yeah. So the legislation would raise the age to buy semi-automatic rifles to 21, ban bump stocks, regulate ghost guns, which are those like 3D printed guns that therefore don't have serial numbers and are harder to trace and track and require the storage of safe storage of firearms. And, you know, Gonzalez hasn't really said much publicly about the vote, but I think you make a really good point that there's a lot of political risk in Republicans taking steps towards gun control. We can see it here at the state legislature. I mean, Governor Mike DeWine came out in support of a lot of these same measures after the Dayton shooting. And he since walked it back, sort of saying, practically speaking, it's just not something he can accomplish. Yeah, I think people who would like to implement some form of gun control want to start with these kind of things, you know, raising ages, getting rid of ghost guns, you know, people kind of putting these things together at home or, you know, even in some instances, people are like 3D printing guns. And so... Um, I think these are seen as the low hanging fruit, like the things that maybe there could be some compromise on. And so that's why they try to pass this measure. But also, as always, the the Second Amendment is highly politicized and people really dug in and on their political sides on this issue. I also think um, the Senate is unlikely to pass this particular measure. But there is been has been some discussion. If you get to a place where you can get some bipartisan compromise, get some Republicans to kind of support putting something forward, I think you have a much better shot than just this is the Democrats bill. Are you for it or against it? Yeah, for sure. Our second topic is uh, middle school, high school, and college sports. So last week, we told you about a bill that would ban transgender girls from playing on female sports teams here in Ohio. And this week, I'm here to tell you about a pretty universal backlash to how that law would verify whether a girl is, well, what they define as a girl. So the bill, which passed near midnight on Wednesday of last week, says students whose sex are questioned would have to go undergo at least one, but possibly three different tests. And one of 
of those tests would be an internal and external examination of their anatomy. And, you know, Democrats and doctors sort of jumped on this and said, whoa, whoa, does that mean that like, you know, a 10 year old girl who wants to play on her fifth grade basketball team is going to be subjected to like a gynecological exam, essentially, which is typically not done until a woman is an adult. Yeah, I think the backlash was pretty strong and and fervent. I think you can understand why if you're a parent, do you think, you know, how much do I want my child to have to go through in order to play on the local softball team or something like that? And so this language wasn't in prior versions of the bill. It has been in a couple versions of the bill. But for example, when language was added to name, image and likeness legislation last year, this wasn't like a part of the of the measure. And so it'll be interesting to see whether the Senate continues with this particular language. I believe the Senate president has said that they're going to take a look at this bill, but maybe even start from a different version. Yeah. And when I say like universal reaction to it, I'm actually talking about the fact that um, the Center for Christian Virtue, which is a conservative organization who supports these, what they're, they're called like the Save Women's Sports Acts, like all the different variations of it. And the president of Ohio's Center for Christian Virtue said that like, look, we don't need these kinds of examinations to accomplish our goals. And it wasn't in the version that he had seen previously. So I do mean that folks both on the left and the right, even the supporters of this kind of legislation had reservations about this in part because the the way this bill was written, it says that if you make an accusation against a student or you question her sex, then there can't be any repercussions against the person making that accusation. And I sort of jokingly say this, but it's possible where they say like, you know, sports parents are crazy. There was a woman a few years ago who hired a hitman to take out a cheerleader so her daughter could make the varsity team. Like the idea that perhaps a sports parent would make one of these accusations in bad faith is entirely possible. And Democrats and doctors are sort of raising that as a potential legal concern. Yeah, it's also worth noting that this type of language has been included in bills across the nation. So it almost seems like kind of draft legislation or draft uh, language. And it's it would be interesting to know whether Republicans who supported this bill in the House in that vote that took place after 11 p.m. realized this language was in here, whether they read the bill or whether they're okay with it. Yeah. Our third topic is Jesse's favorite never-ending story, redistricting. So we're going to have a primary in August for the state House and state Senate. And a big question is whether more people should be allowed to run for their seats, right? That's kind of what's up right now. Yeah, so there's a few lawsuits that have been filed, some at the Ohio Supreme Court and one in federal court, that essentially say the filing deadline for this August 2nd primary ended up being February 2nd. And six months before this primary, we didn't even know what this map was going to look like. Well, we had some districts, but those were ultimately rejected. Not the districts we have now. Correct. So the map that we ended up using, no one, or at least most of the people filing for these uh, races had never seen. And so you're essentially trying to guess where the lines are going to be drawn, guess whether you are going to be in a district that is competitive. And when candidates are weighing whether to run, they might look at a district and be like, well, yeah, that represents a lot of the area I grew up in or my kids who go to school in or my business is in. I feel like I can convince my neighbors to send me to Columbus and make some changes here. But if you don't know what the district looks like, it's incredibly difficult to do that. And so both Democrats and Republicans have filed some 
lawsuits saying, hey, we tried to file in May, which would have been, you know, 90 days before the August 2nd primary, or hey, it'd be great if we reopen this filing deadline. So it'll be interesting to see what the judges do, whether they just let a couple people back on the ballot, whether they let people back on the ballot that filed back in May, or whether they open this back open (laughs) entirely, which will just, you know, continue the chaos and confusion. Yeah. And you know, what I thought was really interesting was there is a Columbus area lawmaker named Adam Miller who was like, hey, I live next to Allison Russo, another Columbus area lawmaker. She's the minority leader in the House. And he thought he was filing for the district next door. That's where he represents and that's where he wanted to run again. And then the lines got drawn. So him and Allison are essentially in the same district. And he's saying, no, no, I I wanted to be in the other one. And I'll I'll be curious to see if the court lets him because like he didn't intend to primary her. They never intended to run in, in the same district. It's just now the lines have put them in there. And some Democrats are making the case that they did it on purpose or the Republicans did it on purpose. The Republicans say like, that's not how it went down, but I don't know anymore. Yeah, I would say um, those who were working on maps for February 24th could have known where individuals filed on February 2nd. Now, whether they use that information or not, we may never know. And our fourth and final topic is about education, specifically the person whose job it is to oversee the direction of Ohio's entire K-12 system. His name was Steve Dakin, and I say was because he resigned from the job about two weeks after he accepted it. It was very weird. Um, So basically how it went down was he used to be on the State Board of Education, and then he was tasked with finding the new state superintendent, and then he resigned uh, saying he wanted to apply for the job, and his former colleague picked him, but now it looks like that's a little bit ethically gray. Yeah. I mean, Ohio ethics laws actually prevent you from taking anything of value. So like a salary Mm -hmm. um, from a board that you worked on even as far as a year ago. And so I think it was pretty clear in the timeline that Mr. Dockin resigned from the board within a year of taking this position. And I thought what was interesting in his resignation letter was he said he wasn't going to take any money for the job that he had done over, you know, a couple of weeks. I think that is a little bit telling. Also in his letter, he talked about not wanting to, you know, have the focus on these revolving door questions and to focus on education instead. And so um, I haven't been able to speak with him yet, but I think it's pretty clear that those concerns were what led to his departure. But why were those concerns not a problem when he was actually appointed to the position or voted into this position? Yeah, And that means the search is on again. And it wasn't the easiest search to come by. I've been sort of following this for a while since the previous superintendent left almost a year ago. And it really seems as though the challenge is there's a split amongst the conservatives on the board. They would want somebody more aligned with their values. And so this was not a unanimous vote for Dakin. There was a more conservative candidate that did not end up winning in the end. So it'll be really interesting to see if the board can find somebody that majority can support again. Correct. Hopefully in less than a year. And this is an important position. Oh, for you know, sure. It oversees, you know, curriculum and, and teachers and... The like 1.7 million public school children. So maybe not something we want to leave unfilled. Obviously, they have an interim yes. um, superintendent in yes. place. And so it's not like no one is on the job. But I mean, always good to have someone permanent in place. 
And one more thing before you go. A Republican state representative named Gary Click made news this week when he accused Nationwide Children's Hospital of having a link on its website to, well, hardcore porn, as he put it. So this is a little bit circuitous, but like, here's how it works. So Nationwide Children's Hospital has a section of its website devoted to its transgender services or to its like children's services in this regard. And that had a resource page. And that resource page had a link to a group called Mosaic. And Mosaic had a resource page. And that resource page had a link to a website that sells items like adult toys, transitional garments, which are like binders um, and other items that you might use during your transition to sort of change the shape of your body. And then it also sold adult films. So there were no like, like you didn't click on this website and a, a video of a sexual act popped up. It was more like these are different types of items that you can purchase. And I guess this really upset Representative Click. The, um, the Children's Hospital has since like removed its link to Mosaic which was the link to the link. But it was a very interesting argument. Yeah, this was kind of apropos of nothing in the committee. But um, when they were talking about a bill that would ban certain procedures um, for children under a certain age. And so certain uh, like transgender procedures, like hormone therapy, surgery, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the Democrats on the committee said that, you know, within three links on the Internet, he could probably get from former president Donald Donald Trump to Stormy Daniels. So an adult film star, if you don't know. So yes. So the link has been disabled. But you know, how many links does it take to get almost anywhere on the internet, I suppose. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Minerva News Leader. That's the-review.com backslash Minerva.